Welcome to American Roots Outdoors, your host, Alex Rutledge, along with my team leaders here in the studio, director of radio, Mr. Mike Crace, and editor and producer. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. And Wayne Locke, the director of the podcast. Uh, guys, our podcast is taking off. Oh, it sure is. Uh, matter of fact, in South Africa, we are now ranked 15. It was number five one week. Uh, no, that was for a particular episode. We okay. ranked number five for the uh, NWTF episode okay. uh, in South Africa, and our podcast in general in South Africa is ranked at number 15. Wow. What do you think of that, Redbone? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And I think what's so cool about that, too, is Africa is a big crossbow hunting country. Yes, definitely. I think that's one of the things that stood out about it with some of the... Um, Especially with that episode that went to number five, it, it had to do with hunts that took place in Africa. Uh, we had the disabled child that went to Africa and uh, harvested a few animals over there, and I think they really took to heart. Uh, hunting is a big industry over there, and it's also it does a lot for the uh, local tribes and communities there, too. Yeah, and that's something that I wish people would understand, because we always get the controversy when somebody kills a giraffe or an <laughs> elephant or, you know, whatever else, and... and and I understand those are beautiful creatures and people get upset about it. But the good that that does, because those are only animals that are made available to hunt. And they have limited numbers of animals that can be harvested. But then the, the tribe or the group or the community where that animal is harvested, all of it goes to use. It's given right back to the community. Right. And uh, Scott uh, Mashu, whose uh, son Cooper is the one I was referring to, he went over there. And he said that was an eye-opening thing for Cooper to see is that when he harvested these animals, that every single part of these animals was used. The tribe used the bones, the nails. I mean, you name it, they used it. And it was real eye-opening to him to see how much that they depended and were thankful. You know, they didn't look at him as, oh, you know, you're doing this and you're getting us money. No, they looked as you're feeding our families. And uh, he said it was real eye-opening for his son. Well, I think, if I may uh, interrupt, uh, interject, or get involved, uh, the thing is, we here in America and other countries, you have zoos. With giraffes in them and elephants and rhinos and this and that. We look at it in a different perspective. And, right. and Walt Disney. What? That's <laughs> right. a pet animal. What do you think of a giraffe? Okay, sir. I like monkeys. You like he monkeys? Likes monkeys. <laughs> he likes monkeys. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's all about the customs. It's, it's their heritage, whatever it is. And you know, such a positive thing. And also 10-point uh, crossbows, you know. Right. Uh, she was a guest on her show she's the brand manager yes she was and uh, matter of fact she uh was also talking about how they use their crossbows over there in africa for a lot of the disabled uh people the veterans and the kids and that mm -hmm. and and the ladies now who would not have been before when you went to africa you always thought you had to have that 80 to 100 pound bow you know that's what you need <laughs> to take these you know these animals down with now with the crossbow, there's young ladies that are going over there with no problem. Kids are going over there and able to harvest animals. Yeah. Um, Ten Point has just made a huge difference in the industry and, and uh, getting people involved in going to Africa. In that. And they're one of the oldest, older companies 
crossbow companies in the world. Ten point. Yeah, well, they're definitely one of the best, and and I think if I remember correctly, reading correctly, just recently, they're ranked number one in safety too. Well, you know, ten point also crossbows, and just touching on it again, uh, a lot of people are going to crossbow to hunt turkeys with too. Yes. Yeah. So it's a big thing, you know. We got turkey season coming up, everybody. Uh, we got warm weather. It's sixty-two degrees outside right now, and Manna Springs, there, Missouri. And I want to tell y'all, the white bass are starting to run. The crappie are biting, and some of the stripers are biting over on North Fork and some of the lakes. Uh, my brother Jack and I went last night, Redbone, over mm-hmm. to the lake, North Fork, and uh, we went largemouth fishing. We was going to go walleye fishing, but you know my brother Jack. He's got to pull that jig <laughs> out and that fluke, and he's going to bass fish. We end up spending our time bass fishing, but we, we caught over 30 largemouth from about 1.30 uh, until right about 30 minutes before dark. Wow. Yeah, and we had uh, six keeper largemouth all over 15 inches long, and we had around 10 pounds total weight and five largemouth. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, the fishing on the lake has been good all winter. I guess it has, you know. Uh, well, they had a strange phenomenon is that they never ran out of oxygen in the upper levels of the lake. So they didn't go as deep. They didn't go as deep, so the fishing been really good. And then yeah. the walleye started to spawn uh, a couple of weeks prior yeah. to when they normally do, and that's what's going on now with the walleye. They're getting up into the river channels. Uh-huh. But they started early. They so did. People were just catching walleye like yeah, crazy. Yeah, they're catching walleye like crazy. Uh, I stopped in at Monty's Outdoors, went over Radio Partners, sponsors, and talked to Mr. Montgomery, girl's dad. Mm-hmm. And he said there was some guys in there last week that they was calling uh, 20-inch walleye. They was calling them. They said, really? That's a good walleye. Throwing them back. Yeah, they threw them back. Threw them wow. back in. They was catching big walleye. Mm-hmm. So that was at Tecumseh. Now, we was at Pigeon Creeks where we put in at, okay. and uh, we caught them on Umbrella, a fluke, uh, gets it, crankbait. They caught, they'd bit anything. They just anything bait. Didn't yeah, they didn't anything. Ever you tell know? you my walleye story? Oh. I went with a friend of mine, uh, uh, Keith. Uh, that's been a long time ago. He must not be a good friend. You can't uh, remember he, his he, last he's name. Not now. He used to live here. And then, <laughs> he, he, moved over, he moved over to the lake about 25 years ago, and then I haven't seen him probably in 20, but not long after he moved over here. Uh, Keith Johnson was his name. Yeah, there used, you to go. Be, used to be Keith judge Johnson. here. Anyway, he, he invited me to come over, and we were just trolling for water. Oh yeah. And uh, I hooked into a fish. I get up near the boat, and Keith says, "I've never never caught a walleye before in my life." And he goes, "Oh my gosh, it's a thirty incher." Thirty incher. Thirty inch, big. I mean, walleye this big. So I, I get the boat over, or the Grab the fish over to the side of the boat. Bring it here. And Keith says, "Let me get the net. Let me get the net." Now, for one thing, I was fixing to reach down and grab this fish. I did not know walleye at that time. Uh-huh. Had teeth, <laughs> but anyway, he says, "No, no, no. Let me get the let me get the net. You don't want to lose him." And he grabs the net and he scoops the fish up out of the water. It's a thirty-inch walleye, and he's using a fourteen-inch net. <laughs> so guess what happened? Only half of my walleye went in the net. Yeah. The heavy half, the front half, flops out, falls in the water, swims away. You lost the oh, fish. Lost man. the fish. Lost it. Keith felt so bad about it because he grabbed the wrong net. Yeah, and 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 we fished all day that day on Lake Norfolk, and the only thing we caught was a deer. We <laughs> caught a deer. Uh, a we'll baby, save a that deer. story. We'll save that story. But yeah. anyway, hey, we got a great show lined up for everybody here. We got a, a special guest coming in, Mr. Brad Harris. Most of you know who Brad Harris is. He's a real tree pro staffer. This guy is one of the true legends in the outdoor industry, Wayne. This guy is one of the first guys that I learned learned 
about deer vocalization, Redbone. Yeah, and he was really one of the first guys to really get out and study deer in their habitat and, and the things that they do. I mean, he really brought that to hunting. All and, before, it was just go out and sit in a tree and wait for the deer to come by and scout them, things like that. And he, he learned some of the really intricate parts of deer hunting. He sure did, and he's, he's an, a champion turkey caller. He called in contests back in the day, and he actually became a very intricate, important part of Loman Game Calls, uh, Bill Harper, uh, Outland Sports, and he pretty much is semi-retired and, and runs a big ranch out in Kansas. And what he's doing there is just entertain some guests out there, and he's into real estate. And he rededicated his life as a Christian, and he's got a powerful testimony and he'll be joining us today. And that also being said, we got a couple minutes here before we go to break. But what about those Thayer Bobcat, Lady Bobcats, and the boys team? Huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they were really good uh, Wednesday night. They went over and played. Uh, uh, the boys played Bernie, who was a really good basketball team. Uh, beat them by seven. And uh, Bernie had averaged 66 points a game. Thayer held them to 35. Mm. So the Bobcats are playing outstanding defense. Mm -hmm. And then on the girls' side, the Thayer Lady Bobcats, who were 16-8 and eight going into the, uh, the state sectional, mm -hmm. uh, they beat uh, Neelyville, who was 24-4, and four, I think, uh, beat them in overtime by five. Uh, wow. It was a great, great wow. game. And that was the battle of the last two defending state champions. Wow. Neelyville won its championship two years ago. Yeah. Thayer, of course, is the defending class two state champions. And uh, yeah, they beat them in just an epic battle. Now, Thayer plays... Uh, Saturday, girls play at 1 against Oran, and the uh, boys play at 245, also against Oran. So it's going to be just a big, big day over at uh, Sykeston High School. And, uh, you know, Door Falcons have advanced. The Ava Bears have advanced now. Congratulations yeah. to all the teams. Uh, Licking yeah. Lady Wildcats. In our listening area. And, and you've got Hartville. And, and if folks are looking to go to a game locally and you want to make a trip to Springfield, number two ranked Hartville will play number one ranked Greenwood at 2.45 Saturday afternoon at Republic High School. This is the Class 2, probably in all likelihood, the Class 2 state championship game. Yeah, it's kind of like I went and watched Dora play. Yeah, Dora and uh, South Iron and uh, had a good yeah, time with probably me. Probably a state championship game. State championship game. And yeah. it, what, what a game. And I just want to say this about the game before we go to break. Uh, Dora, and I say this in respect, is like that team is like a good running dog, a coyote hound. They got heart. They stay in there, and they fight, and they don't give up. And Absolutely. Uh, those twins, those triplets, man, they showed out. They pretty much kept Haney shut down, but he made yeah. most of his points from free throw line. Yeah. But that being said, fish are biting. Turkeys are starting to gobble. Hard. My first turkey two days ago, he gobbled three times, and that was it. But turkeys are gobbling. Fish are biting. Everybody, we've got a great show lined up for you. Don't go away. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors after this. Hey, this is Eddie Salter, and you listen to American Roots and Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors, and as promised everybody, we got special guests, a true legend in my eyes. This guy he, he's not a big eye. Uh, how would I say this? He uh, he is a private person now. He's kind of slowed down. This guy is one of the true people that actually introduced deer vocalization to the outdoor industry. Welcome, Mr. Brad Harris. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm doing good. You're calling us from Kansas? 
No, I'm in uh, the Ozarks. I'm down in southwest, uh, north of Stockton Lake right now. Okay. So, Brad, a lot of people I've done a live feed promoting you and talking about you coming on there. A lot of people, oh, man, I followed Brad, and uh, for many years we love Brad, et cetera, this and that. What I want to do here is get to the, the American roots side of Brad Harris. A lot of people that's watched you on Realtree videos and Loman's videos and Outland Sports, and you was one of the intricate parts of their success story there. Where was Brad Harris born? Well, I was born actually in Bonterre, Missouri, and uh, grew up in Deloge. Deloge. My wife went to college at Mac. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right up the highway, about three miles from where I was born and raised. I had an aunt and uncle that owned some property over on, uh, is it Timberline Lake, over around the Bonterre? Yeah, 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 Lake Timberline. Yeah, yeah. Lake Timberline, yeah. you have to go over there. That's where I learned to water ski many, many years I'll ago. I'll be there. Yeah, Lake Timberline. Wow, that brings Lake back some Timberland. memories. So the cool thing is yeah. about our show, Brad, is that people get to learn stuff that they didn't know about people we have on the show. So you was born there around Bonterre, the Lowe's area. Talk about your parents real quick. Oh, man, Alex, I had the greatest parents in the world. Uh, uh, they, you know, did everything right as far as I'm concerned. They allowed us to be kids and grew up uh, outside of town on a small farm. And uh, Dad was uh, big on just allowing us to roam. We lived on the confluence of Flat River Creek and uh, – and Big River, and uh, so, you know, we'd go out the back door, and it was just wide open spaces back then, and just go, and then out the front door was a Highway 67, you could cross the highway and be in town in just about 10 minutes, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds, but mom and dad would prefer us heading out the back door, heading to the creek, than they did going to town. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. And they, you know, they encouraged that, and dad, uh, Dad always made sure we had enough uh, hunting and fishing supplies around to uh, keep us keep us occupied. Um, he he was a, a good man, an honest man, and uh, uh, encouraged us to work hard and to be honest. And so we did. We had to work hard and uh, do our thing. Uh, and mom, she was just always there. She uh, took care of nine kids. And oh wow! One thing about home, we grew up with nine children, and it seemed wow. like mom was doing nothing but cooking and cleaning my entire life <laughs> you know there was 10 in my family brad i'm the baby yeah yeah wow yeah so what did, then you're the spoiled one i am the spoiled one now are you the baby in your family no i'm number seven number seven i'm number 10 but let me ask you what yeah. kind of work did your dad do what was his profession my dad was a cement finisher uh he we poured concrete every you know, from the time we were old enough to go on the job site, he taught us the trade, and uh, so we. Uh, and his dad was a cement finisher, and then my brother, one of my older brothers, took over the business when dad had health problems later on in life. But so we grew up pouring, pouring and finishing concrete of all things. Well, you know what hard work is. That's for sure. That's the true oh, American Lord. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, my shoulders today uh, feel the pain from those. You know those days, and Dad, uh, he didn't believe in a in a troweling machine. Uh, he he had enough boys that he put trowels in our hands, and we finished everything by hand. Yep. Let me ask you this: What school did you attend there, and, and did you play sports in school? Oh yeah, yeah. I went to Deloge Elementary Schools, and then uh, Bonterre and Deloge kind of uh, 
consolidated when I was like a ju- in junior high. So we became North County, and it still is North County, and uh, that's where I went to high school and I uh, played baseball and football and uh, loved it, loved every minute of it. Didn't I wish I could go back and try to do it all over again. I might put a little <laughs> more effort into it. Uh, but anyway, it, it kept me uh, in school. The thing. Uh, dad was so smart that he knew that I loved hunting and fishing. And he knew I loved football and baseball. And so he would hold that over my head if I ever got in trouble. I, you know, he would kind of use that against me, and it uh, it helped. Uh, it kept me uh, kept me in line and got me through school and uh, just a great time. That's beautiful, man. Let me ask you this. Uh, of of your, your parents there and when you played sports, uh, which it sounds like, man, you're just like the typical Ozarks people here and that's very dedicated to their family your parents really supported you in your in your hunting and that, that's what kept you motivated to keep a, a keeping the straight and narrow so to say uh was you raised well it is go ahead no go ahead alex was you raised in church as a kid oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. mom had us in church uh, went to first baptist church in deloge and uh uh, you know, they, they made sure that uh, we were subjected to uh, all the right things. And uh, uh, I was saved when I was in seventh grade. Beautiful. And uh, I'm not going to tell you I didn't stray here and there. <laughs> Who I didn't? Did. Who don't? Uh, yeah, and, you know, the good Lord just uh, stayed with me and uh, kept lifting me up by my, my uh, bootstraps. And uh, fortunately, it uh, had has worked and, and has uh, been embedded in my life and uh I've spent a lot more time in my later years uh, trying to repay the kindness the good Lord has put on me. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you sure are a good man, Brad. You and I have been friends since back in the 80s. We go way back. And uh, that being yep. said, uh, man, the information you're sharing with us, people don't know this. And, that, again, that repeating, that's what makes our co- show so cool. Would you agree, Wayne? Redbone? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of like getting, getting to know somebody sitting around the – Sitting around the kitchen table, you know. Yeah, or the campfire and just, yeah. you know, shooting the breeze and learning about, you know, what brought you here and everything. And that's something that I think separates us from a lot of other things. Everybody can hear, I've said this numerous times, everybody hears the story of I shot this deer, this turkey at this place, in this state at this time. But nobody really knows where these people came from. And it's so nice to hear, you know, what made you who you are today. Well, I think the thing, if I may say this before we go to a break here in about 45 seconds, Brad Harris is, is real. You know, he's not a wannabe, man. He's lived it, and he was raised on a farm. And like he said, walking 10 minutes to town and uh, crossing 67 Highway to go hunting, fishing, or whatever, he's lived it, you know. And and that's the way I was raised, Brad. And uh, I think that's what separates you from a a lot of the hunters today. And we're going to talk about that as we move on. But uh, I'm going to ask the question to you, but I want you to save the answer because we're going to go to break in about 25 seconds. Tell us about the first animal you ever harvested. And we're going to talk about that when we come back from this break. Everybody, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors. Don't go away. We've got the legend, Brad Harris, in the studio on the line with us right now. We'll be right back with more right after this. Right here, right now, this is Chancey Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. What the wind might do, American Roots. 
Welcome back to American Roots with Alex Rutledge, Mike Grace in the studio. This is Wayne Locke, and we have Brad Harris on the phone. And Brad, you were just getting ready to tell us about the first animal you ever harvested. Killed. How about that? Yeah. Killed. Killed. Go killed. It's, it's killed. <laughs> That's the thing. I didn't harvest much, but I killed a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, uh, you know, obviously as a youngster, Dad put a BB gun in our hands, and we chased sparrows and starlings just uh, constantly. Now, the the martins and the barn swallows were off limits, and, and the songbirds. So and if robins. you accidentally shot one of them, you might have got a butt whipping, uh, and that happened a time or two. But my first real experience of going hunting, Dad was cutting wood. We had a, oh, about 20 acres of alfalfa that was growed up good late in the fall, and uh, uh, he gave me a Model 37 single-shot 410 and three shells and, and said, go, che- go see if you can find a rabbit. And uh, and I did, and believe it or not, I walked through that alfalfa field and kicked one up, and the thing kind of got out of sight, but I shot where I thought it went, and believe it or not, I killed the first thing, first game animal I ever shot at. I love it. Uh, I was proud as punch. And uh, I went back, and Dad was in the middle of the wood pile, but he took time to shut the saw off, and he knew I was proud and happy. And he sat down with me and visited uh, about it and wanted to hear about it. And that just, well, him taking that time with me at that moment just planted a seed that just, uh, you know, will never die in me until I leave this earth. Oh, that's that's great to hear. You know, one thing you just mentioned that brought back a memory for me is how you were talking about using a BB gun and going out and and doing the birds and that. And that's actually the how the very first animal I killed was a uh, a black throated sparrow. My grandmother was a songbird uh, fanatic. Uh oh. And uh, black throated sparrows. When I was six years old, she was teaching me all about animals and that. And she told me that the black throated sparrow was one of the the enemies of songbirds because they go in there and they kick out all the babies and everything on the um, in the nest, and they take over the nest. So her thing was, you know, anytime you see a black-throat sparrow, you, you let me know, and we're going to shoot it. Well, one day we were out there, and there was one sitting on a fence post in the garden, and she's like, well, I think it's your turn to, to take a shot, and you're going to do this. So she handed me this little old Red Rider BB gun, and I still have it on my mantle in my cabin right Beautiful. now. And um, I took it one shot. Got it, fell over. She was the happiest camper in the world. She couldn't believe it. And from that point forward, I tell you what, I was hooked on learning about nature and everything that does. Well, I can tell you, my first one, first animal I ever killed, was a, a red-headed woodpecker. And I was about third grade, and this thing got on the tree, and I started shooting it in again with a little Daisy BB gun. And I must have hit that thing 30 times. And it wouldn't fly off. It just kept going around the tree. And I finally I finally killed it. And and uh, a mom came out and said, What's wrong with you? Because I started crying. I said, I killed a woodpecker. <laughs> He's from St. Louis, Brad. I mean, He's from over the St. Louis. He wasn't raised rough like us. I was in the third grade. I was in the third grade, and it just bothered me that I killed that woodpecker. Right. Now, I today, it, really. now today, the woodpecker, they get up, you know, pecking on the eaves of the house or, or around in the yard and wake me up, you know, on a Saturday, 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I kill woodpeckers, and yeah. I don't cry about it. <laughs> but anyway, now That's you right. know our stories, Brad. These guys are great, great people in the studio here. And uh, that being said, now you, we know your first animal, and, and, and that's what reiterate back on yeah. that. Man, what what a memory to be able to sit down with your dad at the woodpile. He quit his work to sit down with Brad and talk about his first rabbit. That's really cool. That was honoring his son, and the son is stepping into manhood, so to say. Wouldn't you agree, Brad? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. He knew that it was a big deal for me, and uh, 
because all our boys, all the family members, you know, away from far as we could ever uh, remember, all were hunters, and this was just kind of my time and stepping into that into that uh, heritage that, that mm-hmm. my family had always uh, taken part in, mm-hmm. and uh, he, you know, I, and I never thought about it that him stopping for a long time, and then I realized my dad was one of the hardest working men I ever oh, saw yeah. in my life. And he didn't stop very often for anything when he was working. And it didn't hit me till many years later that what an honor that was for him to shut that saw off and, and mm-hmm. sit down. Now, I don't mean much to a lot of people, but it meant the world to me to know that my dad was the kind of working man that he was and get the job done and, you know, don't uh, don't slack. And yet he took a little slack time and let me know that that was pretty cool. But the real interesting thing was for a long time, for two or three years until I started earning some money on my own, that dad would only supply me with three shells. <laughs> Anytime I asked to go hunting, the gun was handed to me, but I only got three shells, you know, and I was shooting a single barrel. And I, at, at the time, I thought, well, it's just because maybe dad couldn't afford, afford more shells than that. But no, it was a lesson learned, too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to uh, be conservative, uh, be accurate. Uh, you only have three shots. You better make them count. So it was, it was all a great learning experience that that dad, uh, you know, put a, uh, you know, interjected to me, and it took a long time for me to figure it out. But then I did the same thing to my boys as they were growing up. Yeah, Brad. Uh, the question that comes to mind to me about about that situation: Do you think your dad knew when he sent you out with that shotgun and those three shells that there was going to be a rabbit in that field and you were going to kill it? Well, he knew the rabbits were there for sure because I mean alfalfa is a is a draw, and we had lots mm-hmm. of rabbits, and it was pretty cool. But yeah, I think that uh, you know, I think he understood. I think he knew that good things were going to happen. I don't know that he, I don't, I doubt that he thought I'd hit one on the first shot, but I, <laughs> I figured he knew I'd figure out a way to kill one somehow with one of those three shells. That's yeah, and let me ask you, I know you ate that rabbit. Oh, no doubt. Oh, yeah. That's the way we was raised, man. We killed what we eat. But, again, everybody, if you're just joining the show, we've got legendary Realtree Pro Stamper, Mr. Brad Harris, one of the first guys to ever teach me, and I learned from him about deer vocalization. This guy's a turkey murderer, also a predator hunter, elk hunter. This guy does it all. He's residing. uh, He's got a ranch in Kansas. You still live in Missouri, and he's got a beautiful family. His son just won the state wrestling championships, Redbone. Grandson. Grandson. Just really? won the state wrestling championships. When we get back, I'm going to ask you this question. We're going to go to a break here in about uh, 30 seconds, but tell us about your first turkey you ever called in your first deer when we get back. <laughs> okay. Everybody, we're going to go to a break. Brad Harris, legendary turkey and deer hunter, real tree pro staffer. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Wadden with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. We're back on the American Roots Outdoors radio show with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We have Brad Harris on the line. Alex is here. I'm here. And uh, what's your name? Uh, Wayne Locke is here. <laughs> oh, no, I can't forget Kaser. We got five-year-old Kaser in there with us, too, Brad. His daddy, uh, his parents own the, the studio here, and uh, Kaser's our co-host, aren't you, Kaser? Awesome. Can you say hi, Brad? 
Hello, buddy. Glad to meet you, he said. <laughs> <laughs> he hangs out with us every time we're in the studio. But anyway, the question was, tell him, Wayne, our listeners, tell us about your first turkey and deer that you ever harvested. Here we go. I done well, it for you. I done it for you, Wayne. I, I'm going to tell you, Alex, uh, the first turkey is quite a story. Uh, to cut it short, though, I got a real good position on a gobbler one morning after about three years of boogering everything that I ever went after. <laughs> I finally got on top of a ridge above a really hot gobbler and uh, sat down, and, and I noticed that there was a hen calling across the river. But the gobbler was on my side, and I had the position, didn't know it, but ended up there. Got to yelping a little bit. Well, Turkey answered me, but I had no idea what was transpiring other than he did answer me. Well, nature called, believe it or not, <laughs> and uh, I knew the gobbler was close, but again, I had to go, and I, I didn't want to move, so I just stood up and eased around the backside of the tree I was sitting by and took care of business and eased back around. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In about 10 minutes, it was the nastiest thing in its thing. There was flies gathered all around. It was going crazy, but that turkey was still gobbling. Yeah. Well, he, I called a little bit more, and it wasn't long he shut up. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if he left. I wonder if he went across the creek to that hen. Next thing I know, I catch a little movement to my left, and that rascal was about 25 yards walking with his head Ooh. up looking. And I just happened to have my gun laid and pointed in that general direction, so I was able to ease it up, and I shot him and just killed him dead. I was so excited, because it's the first gobbler I ever killed, <laughs> that I just pushed them, put my hand down, pushed myself up, and took off running. <laughs> I got to him, got my foot on his neck, and I spit my call out into my hand, and it stuck. <laughs> because I had put my hand in that pile of crap. Made by an old gentleman in Deloge by the name of Dean Qualls. It was a lead washer oh, with man. a partial part of a condom stretched between it and surgical tape. Yet there was no mouth calls around. This was my one uh -oh. and only. And I just Stuck in my hand. Now, I'm not going to tell you, but if I ever use the call again, but I still got it. <laughs> you know, it didn't bother me. I knew I'd kind of messed up. But you know, there's a creek right below, and I knew how to wash. And I had just killed a big old 22-pound gobbler, and I'm telling you, I was in heaven. Nobody knew about it, me and the good Lord. And I stand there soaking up the moment, and I hear a whistle. And the the turkey that was across the creek was not a turkey. It was a hunter. And I worked with this guy. Oh, no. Didn't know he was there. He comes up the hill because the turkey's still flopping. And I put my hand behind my back because this guy's an older guy. He wants more his hand. And he, he wanted to shake hands to congratulate me. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't shake his hand, and it kind of made him a little upset. He goes, what's wrong with you? You just killed a nice gobbler. And he said, I said, finally, I just couldn't hide it anymore. I stuck my hand out, and there was that call stuck in that mush right on my hand. And he just busted out laughing. Oh, man. And so he funny. went back to town and proceeded to tell everybody that that Harris boy killed a turkey and crapped all over his head. <laughs> and that's the first 
turkey I ever killed in my life. And, uh, and that's a true story, and that's what I'm known for to a lot of those old-timers that I, that I crap myself on my first turkey. I'm okay with that, but it, that's not quite what happened. But uh, anyway, I learned a lesson, though, and it was worth the effort. Oh, um, that's as good as it, I've ever it, heard. It was a lot of fun. That's as good a story as I've ever heard. How old was you, Brad? I was probably 15, 14, 15. Yeah. It's a wonder you ever got a yeah. date after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I worked <laughs> with these guys, you know, on the job sites, and the, they, uh, good Lord, I mean, I, I had to live that for a long, long, long time. How long did it take for that rumor to get around school? <laughs> oh, it didn't take long at all. I mean, like, literally, the, you know. Literally, by the time I got to town, most people that hunted knew about it. <laughs> that is and, hilarious. That is it hilarious. was a closed-knit community, but uh, it was it was worth it, and that's something that I'll, I'll, you know, I remember that story the rest of my life and have no problem sharing it. Uh, but the deer was a little bit different. I was uh, clean, didn't crap myself on the deer, um, <laughs> but I, I had crawled up in my brother's uh, portable tree stand. He left it hanging on the tree and it was one of those uh, baker self-climbing mm-hmm. stands or climbing stands. I remember and I, I climbed up in that old baker stand and we was on fence crossing right on the edge of a county road and uh, my brother wasn't hunting that weekend and I went out and got up in that stand to his. My brother-in-law had driven me out there. I hadn't been up there and I probably climbed about 18, 20 feet and I got my bow up and I was shooting a recurve, a 45-pound Shakespeare recurve. And I had my bow in my hand, hadn't been there 15 minutes, and hadn't seen nothing. But I looked down my feet for whatever reason, and I saw movement right under the stand, and it was a doe. Mm-hmm. And I do not know to this day how she got there, mm-hmm. uh, but she was there. And she was she knew I was there, but wasn't quite sure what was going on and was just kind of nosing around under my stand. And she finally turned and edged out a little bit, and I threw my bow, and she was like, 10 or 12 yards at the most, and that arrow went exactly where it was supposed to, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, she ran about 100 yards and piled up, and, uh, you know, it was a big deal. I mean, I I had struggled getting out of the tree without killing myself, and uh, I was nervous, so nervous I couldn't hardly talk. I went and got my brother-in-law, and he's a good bit older than me and much smarter, and he calmed me down a good bit. So let's just give her time, and, and we'll, we'll go looking for her. And, and, and we did, and took our time tracking, learned a lot of, uh, that day about hunting deer and, and uh, shot placement and re- recovery and all that. But that was my first deer, and uh, I was probably, again, about 14 or 15 years old um, when I killed that one. And, uh, you know, it was talk of the town. I mean, back then there wasn't, you know, any deer was killed was, was a trophy. and still is to me, but back then anything with hair on it that you killed mm-hmm. was, was pretty exciting. Yeah. We didn't have the luxury of you know, passing up 10, 12, 15 bucks a day. You know, we shot the first thing walked by, and many times you had to hunt, you know, if not weeks, sometimes months to, to, to even get a deer within range. So it's quite different today. Yeah, I was going to ask, Brad, what year was that about? That was probably 1973. Oh, wow. Back there. Now, how old are you, Brad? Yeah, 70. I am 62. Well, I'll be 63 here before long. Yeah, you're the same age as my brother, Jack. You was born in 59, huh? 57. 57. Okay, well, you're two years older than Jack. Yeah. You're the same age as Roy. Yeah. My brother, Roy. Yeah. Let me ask you this. We got a, just a few more minutes here. 
uh, what, three minutes, four minutes? Yeah, about three minutes. Three minutes. Uh, you went from that to competitive turkey calling. You won some championships, and then you landed the job with Outland Sports and Loman and all that. And what a successful story. And uh, you, you've been on Realtree videos for a year, and you're still a Realtree pro staffer. You've been with them over 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So Realtree. Sure have, Alex. Let's talk about it's Realtree. It's been a blessing. What's that? Let's talk about Realtree. Yeah, I, I met Bill Bill Jordan back in 1986 at the SHOT Show. As I think that was his first year to be at the SHOT Show. And uh, and I met him, and uh, quite personable guy, and enjoyed visiting with him. And he knew that I was doing a lot of uh, press hunts, a lot of outdoor rider hunts and buyer uh, retail buyer hunts for turkey and deer, and, uh, you know, we got talking about the people that I was entertaining, and he said, man, uh, you need to be wearing Realtree, and I said, yeah, that'd be great. Well, next thing I know, he's loaded me up with a lot of clothes, and that uh, started a relationship for many years. He actually was one of my major sponsors on my TV show that I did way back on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, uh, I did Outdoor Traditions, I think, for seven years on the Outdoor Channel, and Bill was one of my major sponsors, and I always made sure Realtree was in our camps and everybody hunted out of Realtree. And mainly because not, not that you can't kill a turkey with, with or without camo or whatever. I, I just, he's a good guy and we mm-hmm. became good friends and, and uh, he makes a quality product. So I, I was happy to, to jump on board and we've had a relationship ever since. As a matter of fact, we hunt together at least a couple times a year to this day. Um, so it's been a blessing to be with Realtree, but it, it the whole thing started with some turkey calling contests, local contests around the Loge and, and uh, Festus and Potosi and some of those little towns that had turkey calling contests back in the 70s. And Ralph Duran and Ray I kind of got me, uh, mm-hmm. got my fire built up to, mm-hmm. hey, come and call in these contests and have yep. some fun. And, and I did and got to meet a lot of great people and had some success. It led to meeting Bill Harper who uh, hired me to become his PR guy for Loman Game Calls. And the Loman have been around since the 40s, but uh, they were breaking into a new turkey line. And that uh, he knew that I was kind of a little bit savvy about calls, and that got me started in an in industry that I dearly loved for many, many years. Uh, but the neat part was that I'd already started grunting deer with my voice in mm-hmm. 1976. And I grunted in my first deer at Mingo Swamps, grunted him from about 80 yards to about 20 yards and shot six feet under him, it seemed like. So <laughs> being so, you know, that first deer that came to my voice calling, it just blew my mind. And, oh, my gosh, from that point on, I mean, I started tricking deer and fooling deer and started killing a lot of deer because I learned to grunt with my voice. Yeah. As I went to work for Loman, Bill asked me one day out of the blue, he said, I know you love the deer hunt what's your favorite call? Is it the snort or the bleat? And I said, neither. I said, it's the grunt. Well, he had never heard of it. Nobody really had. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, he, he quizzed me about it. We went up out into the shop and built a the first prototype grunt deer call out of a duck call. Brad, say and, that uh, That was 1982, and Brad. it's just gone forever. Brad. Yeah, Brad, if we can, we want to we wanna, we wanna, we wanna further discuss that, and we're going to do it on the bonus segment of our podcast because we got to wrap it up here on the radio show. We're about out of time. How can people keep and follow, keep in touch with and follow Brad Harris? Do you have Facebook and Instagram and all those things? Got Facebook, and uh, I got a website, bradharrisoutdoors.com, uh, but I don't follow much of it. I'm 
pretty independent. If somebody contacts me, it may be a week before I call them back. <laughs> right. I love it. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for the American Roots Outdoors radio show with Alex Rutledge. Remember, go to our podcast over on the over on the website. Go to the podcast, and you'll hear the special bonus segment. We're going to talk deer hunting and deer sounds with the legend Brad Harris. That wraps it up for this week. We'll see you again next week on American Roots Outdoors radio. And Alex, remember, when your deep your roots run deep and strong, you never so you have to never fear gotta the wind. worry what the wind might do. American roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. I got Mike Crace in the studio. This is Wayne Locke, and we have Brad Harris on the phone. Brad, this is the uh, bonus segment of the podcast. The only way that uh, anybody's going to hear this is if they subscribe to our podcast. They'll get an extra bonus segment to uh, hear more of your stories and more knowledge that you can give to them that uh, they're not going to be able to hear on the radio. Now, you were talking about uh, deer vocalizations and that and uh, calling and stuff. Now, one of the things I remember as a kid was your, and I'm going to date myself here, but cassettes <laughs> you know you did a lot of uh you did a lot of cassettes back in the day uh teaching people uh how to how to call deer and stuff like that and turkeys and turkeys and uh my question for you is do you know is that stuff available now we're, we're going to move to the 2020 year here but is that available like on itunes or on cds and that or is it still only on cassettes you know uh that's a good question because i i truly don't know uh i i have many old cassettes that i've kept from from myself over the years uh i don't know if any of them have ever been put in i i, I highly doubt it and uh, they've been put in any other format um it's amazing that how fast time has gone and how things have changed where cassette was a big deal back then mm-hmm. um yeah i did a lot i did the first owl hooting turkey locating cassette mm-hmm. teaching people how to owl hoot with i think boys. i've got it uh, that was the first one I ever did, and I was like, wow, this is crazy for some hillbilly to be getting on here uh, hooting like some silly bird trying to teach people how to do it. I, I had no idea that it was, you know, as impactful as it, as it had. I had no idea, nobody did, how turkey and deer would grow like it has. I mean, back then it was just a bunch of good old boys, it seemed like to me, wanting to kill a turkey or a deer, and it was a challenge. And uh, anything that we could learn to help us fool them was a big deal. And that that was embedded in, into me by my grandfather who taught me how to call squirrels when I was just a little bitty feller using a, a bolt and a piece of cedar shaving, she, a cedar strap. And he taught me how to bark on it. And I killed some squirrels using that. And it got me, it really built a fire saying, hey, if I can fool a squirrel, I can fool a deer, I can fool a turkey, I can fool an elk. So it just built a fire to, hey, what can I do vocalization-wise or a natural sound wise to enhance my opportunities because i'm a bad shot so i need stuff very close and that stuff helped me uh help me do that well I, I remember listening to those tapes on my way to hunting in the morning i would listen to those tapes as a refresher in the car while i'm driving i think man if it's not on available on itunes or cds and that that's something we're gonna have to look into maybe getting you to uh, help you yeah because i tell you what your instructional <laughs> video or, or uh, calls that you were doing on the cassettes nowadays should still be heard by every new hunter coming up because they were that good. And I can tell you one thing about well, cassettes. Yeah, one thing about cassettes. I found an old Leonard Skinner cassette 
uh, in my in a, in a box of stuff I had. And I thought, I'm going to take that out of my truck because I got an older truck. It's got a cassette player in it. And I put that in to listen to it, and it laughed at me and said, Really? You want to play a cassette? <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of dates you, you know. I mean, yeah. obviously that tells you how old I am, how long I've been around. But that gone, it was a lot of fun. And I and I love sharing, learning from other folks and learning them, you know, on my own and then sharing that with other hunters that, that enjoyed the outdoors as much as I did. You know, I want to say we're going to backtrack here just a little bit. Mr. Bill Jordan, I was with him for 24 years, and I left and went to another company for a while. And uh, uh, I'll never forget, Brad Shore said, you'll be back. <laughs> he said that. He said, you'll be back. He said that. He said, you'll be back. I said, yeah. Well, here. well they're, they're solid. The Realtree is a solid uh, yes. company. They've been around a long, long time. They uh they were the first to to really promote design, what I call designer Tam Mullins, and, and you know, great. I mean, you have to. Uh, they've worked hard and they've done a great job uh, branding and marketing. But bottom line for me is, you know, Bill Jordan's just a great guy, and he and I uh, get along great. We've been friends forever, and and man, we're like brothers because mm-hmm. I'm constantly digging him and cutting him down, and he's always dishing it back right at me and uh i enjoy that and i think he does too i want to share with you what he did for linda bird and i my wife when we got married and i was with him at that time he sent a silver platter a real silver platter as a wedding gift to linda and i and i still have that silver platter in my in my that's house awesome. yeah so that shows you what well, kind of man bill kind of jordan is. is yeah yeah i tell you kind of guy he is. and you have to ask him alex one time i he was aggravating me one night and this is a true story he didn't. He had a pair of sandals on, or a thong, or whatever you call those things. But <laughs> uh, not not, on, not on what a woman wears. Yeah, his... uh, hey, some a, men wear thongs a, now. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a, a fork in my hand, and he kept aggravating me. And his foot was up on the chair. I said, "Bill, if you do that one more time, I'm gonna stab you." <laughs> and he gave me this smirk, and he whatever it was he was doing, he did it again. So I buried that fork in the top of his foot, <laughs> believe it or not. And that's a true story. And he looked at me, he jumped, and screamed like a baby. And there was a little bit of blood came out, not a lot. And he goes, you stabbed me. And I said, I told you I was going to stab you. What part of that did you not understand? And uh, that's the kind of relationship Bill and I have. He's gotten even with me over the years. What a great man, didn't and, and I want to say this, uh, you know, Realtree, you look at her stuff. He's one of the true innovators, Redbone. I'm just reiterating what Brad said of pattern designs. And, you know, they had different patterns for different times of the year. And uh, even though they'd all work at any time of the year, but uh, they've done a lot for the industry. They've donated millions of dollars to NWTF, Shooting Sports Foundations, NRA. Uh, Realtree's done a lot. And they were the this. first ones to do three-dimensional printing for their camo. Yes. Yeah. Where they yeah. did, and, and it, it, it wasn't just a drawing or a, a picture. They actually did it in layers yeah. to come up with their, uh, yeah, their stuff. Their first, yeah, first company to ever do that. And also, they made they made camouflage everyday wear. I mean, mm-hmm. back back in the early days, it was just for hunters. Yeah. And now, you can't go anywhere. And, and I was in St. Louis about a month ago, and people were walking the streets downtown St. Louis wearing camo dress shirts. And, and oh, they are. I mean, I mean, now camo is is everyday wear. It's not just for hunters. Well, real tree again. I, I just want to say they're, they're the true innovators. Yeah. All these other companies just come in behind them, following the footsteps, and they they got great patterns. But you got to take your hat off to Bill Jordan and his team and what they've done for the industry. And that being said, uh, I want to say this, Brad. 
and ask you this question. And we both know how much the industry's changed, and I want you to really say how you feel what's going on in the industry. Well, the difference in the industry today is, uh, and I don't care who likes it or don't like it, it's just everybody is taking, 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 taking. Yep. Here, you know, I'm going to come and do a seminar, and you're going to pay me this much money to wear this and to wear that and to entertain you and make you laugh and on and on and on. But that, I mean, to me, that's all well and good, but that's not the way I was raised nor the way I like uh, or, or the way I look at hunting in the outdoors. My thoughts, and most guys that was raised with us, Alex, in the old days that came on, we had a passion for the sport. And we had something to offer. Um, I have not seen any of these so-called uh, quote-unquote celebrity hunters offer or do anything that benefits the common outdoor hunter. My goal has always been and always will be is if I learn something new, I want to share. And my deal is and it's always been I want the guys that are and gals that are hunting to be successful and mm-hmm. have the best chance mm-hmm. they can. I want them to kill stuff. So that's why I try to teach people to owl hoot on cassette tapes and why I try to teach people to be better turkey callers or teach people better setups or teach people how to bugle elk and how to be aggressive yeah. and attack elk in the mountains and on and on and on and on. And that's why I invented the grunt deer call was I knew when I grunted, deer came. Yeah. And that was unheard of and un- nobody knew and it helped me kill deer and I wanted to share it. I wish I'd have been a better businessman. I wish I'd have patented it. Yeah. I wish I'd have trademarked it. Yeah. I didn't. I wanted to teach people. Uh, it could have made me a multimillionaire. Yep. But, you know, in one in one sense, that's great. That's just money. I feel like that it's blessed me above and beyond what money could ever wow. do. I've been in the outdoor well industry said. for the last 35 years, and I am one blessed man. I'm poor, but I'm it. one blessed man. Amen. There you have it, everybody. Brad Harris, the true legend, one of the true innovators of deer calling vocalization. You've been a great guest on our show, Brad, and we'd love to have you back again for a part two in the future. And, uh, man, just keep up doing what you're doing, and thank you for what you've done for the industry. And uh, Wayne's going to say something to you. Yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for your time, and especially doing the bonus segment. I know uh, our listeners are going to absolutely love this. Uh, again, it's the what we're bringing to people that they're not hearing anywhere else, and, and your stories. And I, I'm going to be telling that one. Oh, funny. I'm going to be it's telling you. I'm going to be telling your. Cra- I'm going to be telling your crappy story for <laughs> to yeah. quite a few people yeah. today. <laughs> I could tell one on yeah, Linda. Well, I, 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 I want you to know I. I appreciate you all having me on, and I love Alex. I love, I love you too, brother. His testimony. Uh, yep. More importantly, I love his faith and his walk, and that's what I'm trying to do. Me too. Better and more of, and you know, it, that's what it's all about to me, guys. I mean, I'm still very competitive, and I still like to kill stuff, but life is uh, life is more laid back, enjoyable for me. But I appreciate being on, and appreciate the kind words you all have for me. There you have everybody, Brad Harris. Remember. When your roots are deep and strong, everybody, there's no reason to fear the wind. Listen to us on podcast. Listen to us. We appreciate your support.